0: This is The Guardian.
1: Spring? Is that you? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.
2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Take a sad sum. And make him better. Thank goodness he's smiling again. A hat-trick off the bench. A Spurs score six. Yet aren't totally convincing against a sorry Leicester. Brendan Rodgers under some real pressure. Arsenal atop. A disarmingly straightforward win at Brentford. About as simple as Man City's at Wolves. Something, something, Erling Haaland. And perhaps Jack Grealish isn't on the way out, as some ridiculous podcast suggested last Thursday. Fulham are sixth. Nottingham Forest probably need to stop conceding three at home. Newcastle still only have one win all season. The same number as Everton, who broke their duck on Sunday. Also today, strange reasons for postponement your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly on the panel today Barney Ronay welcome hi hi everyone Nader Manuaha hello hello guys and Robin Cowan welcome Hi, Max. Robbie says, is this the front three panellists fans have been calling for? Will Glenn Denning come off the bench to finally silence the doubters? Very unlikely that he will come off the bench. Let's start at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium then. Uh, Ian says, has anyone ever taken being benched for 50 minutes more personally than Son? He, he didn't really smile until sort of after the game uh, when he was being interviewed, but now he's smiling again. All is well with the world. And and Nadem really made a mockery of the idea that He really needed one to go in off his backside, didn't he?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. In some ways, maybe like these sort of finishes from outside the box uncontested probably suited him more than, say, running through one-on-one like he had been in recent times. But it was was strange to see him on the bench. But then I suppose the difference for me with Spurs this year is the fact that Richarlison was there, and he was actually playing quite well in the lead-up to this point. So you couldn't even say that it's the wrong sort of decision because people also wanted to see what he would be like. And I thought, overall, he did well. But then Son comes on. And then Son does that little finish. It's like he gets these shots just as the ball's slightly off the ground and he whips it in. Be honest, I've tried it, it doesn't go well. But he does that <laughs> and he's very, very good at it. Did it with the right, then he's doing it with the left. And then it's like it's five-two. And I'm thinking, how is Son running through 1v1 as and you're a team that's struggling down at the bottom of the league? It was it was a perfect sort of outcome for him against the side who, you know, for his as they've been in the past at this moment in time you'd probably want them to be defensively stronger so to see some of those goals and how uncontested they were like Son needed it but for Leicester they need to be doing better and just adding a little bit of pressure because he might not have scored but it's still Son yeah I, I, I was
2: I was slightly annoyed Robin that his third goal was a bit shit like he's done two brilliant ones the third needed to be like a, a beautiful diving header for this perfect kind of I'm back
1: moment. Oh, well, that would have been a perfect hat trick, wouldn't it? So is it right foot, left foot? Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. And I really liked your observation, Max, is that he just needs one to be a worldie. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. a different saying. Yeah. And it, what really interested me was after the after he scored the first one, you could physically see the relief, couldn't you? you could, and I think we kind of, understate that almost as, as fans were watching them, that clearly it was weighing quite heavily on him even though a lot of people were going oh it's going to come it's going to come but you could see visibly it because he didn't celebrate really did he he just looked totally actually exhausted like oh finally mm. and it, yeah I found that quite interesting
2: Oncoming Storm says was Spurs 6-2 win the worst 6-2 win ever they played terribly <laughs> it's just that Leicester are terrible is it possible Barney to have an unconvincing 6-2 win I don't know if I'm miswatching watching Spurs I just I just can't work out if they're good yet. Yeah, I think
3: that's a fair point. I mean, you know, Son's goals are obviously amazing. And the skill to be able to shoot like that with both feet is really rare, isn't it? I mean, that's really elite. Um, And it's totally, seems totally natural um, when he does it. But, you know, people talking about it a lot, but Leicester are terrible and Spurs were winning 3-2. And he is really fast and he came in against a team that had fallen apart at the back and scored a hat trick. I don't know if it means Son is back necessarily, just that if you give him loads of space, he's a really good footballer. Um I agree about Spurs. I don't know if they're any good really. I don't Spurs fans will know this better. It's one of those things where you really need to watch them in minute detail. But like they I don't really understand if they have a midfield or not. Like they have good midfielders, but what is their midfield? What does it do? It's like I often it reminds me of like um when you make a meal and there are good ingredient you've got really good ingredients and you've cooked them really properly but somehow it's not really a meal there's nothing really at the center of it what is is, is who's the center of that midfield what does it do what are its combinations because they are best when I think of them having that five five man defense quite low block and then I can see the three attacking players zooming into space I can't really see the midfield even I know they're all good quite good ingredients I don't really know what it
2: is
1: is it a lack of a lack of carbs? Maybe you know you go to a really nice <laughs> you go to a really nice restaurant, but then you need to go for McDonald's later because it's the portions are too I, small. I was
2: thinking maybe I think if you extend the analogy, like occasionally you get an amazing mouthful that tastes absolutely glorious, and then the rest of it is all a bit stodgy. There's
3: like pasta, and there's also polenta, and I'm for some you know there's there's too many carbs, and, and none of them really <laughs> seem to be the main carb. Like, Hoiberg should be a car, shouldn't he? But he's also often seems to be the most creative person there. And Benton Carr, I can see he's a really good midfielder, but he's he's been sort of misused. It's it's like he's a, he's on the wrong plate, you know. Um, I don't really know. Um, Antonio Conte knows more knows more about football and midfields and things than I do. You know, that, that might shock some listeners of this pod, and I'm sure he knows what he's doing and he will make that midfield work. But he's not really a midfield coach, is he? That's not necessarily his heart that he thinks about obsessively like like other coaches so maybe it will become clear
0: I'm with you guys it's really strange like to be at this point in the season seeing Arsenal top and then seeing Spurs in third unbeaten same record as Man City like I'm trying to figure out how to describe it because I I do watch Spurs and I think certain elements are good but then there have been some games where they've looked convincing but still won so if we said this about City or Liverpool you say I'll give them credit because they're showing what champions are made of but because it's Spurs it's like oh well (laughs) <laughs> they'll get oh, I don't know about this something doesn't suit my eye but whilst as every game goes on like this one thing to look out for is the confidence that Spurs' players will have and that makes them even tougher to play games because they'll never believe that they're out even in a game whereby they're maybe being out running their uh, you know breakfast for dinner midfield or whatever you know it's going to be one of those Things that they'll always have belief and with the strike force and stuff that they have and the manager on the sideline demanding that they believe that they will get a result. I can tell you for a fact that stuff goes a long way. So fair play to them. I don't think teams love playing against them per se, but I'd love to see, you know, eventually if they do lose, I'd love to see like the nature of that loss itself and the impact it could have upon them. Because say, for example, they could have very easily lost to Chelsea a few weeks ago. But then, instead, you talk about the positive. You know, they they fought they fought till the end. They did this. They left. They were cheering. But you know, if that goal didn't go in, they're leaving and saying, "Well, I guess we're not as good as Chelsea." are. And we look at Chelsea right now; they're not exactly in the best spot, are they?
2: I reckon. They, I guess the thing is, they can they can win unconvincingly against Wolves and Leicester, but they can they've also got the ability to win unconvincingly against Man City and Liverpool.
0: So, to just to mention something about that, I was um, I was semi talking about this yesterday, but I got cut off on the radio. When somebody says, you know, Arsenal are top, but they've only beaten these teams, Arsenal losing to all those teams was the reason why Arteta was under pressure last season. So you win a league, not necessarily because you've beaten Liverpool twice home and away. It's because of the fact you can accrue those points down at the bottom. I remember um, one of my managers from, uh, from a different time was, um, was talking about how, you know, it's, is it 48 points you can get from beating the bottom eight twice over? you start thinking about that and those games and that those points you can really get on the board. You're not going to be defined, really, unless it's a really key game at the end of the season by your head-to-heads. And that head-to-head will only matter because they've also been beating those teams as well. So for Arsenal, getting those points on the board, for Spurs, getting those points on the board, is key so that you know, if you do lose one of those big games, it's not the end of the world because you can still find form on the other side.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point, point. Um, and it really annoys me. It's kind of a naysayer's point. If you want to object to something, say, "Well, who have you played? Why haven't you thrashed uh, Real Madrid seven nil yet?" It's like what people say about um, Gareth Southgate in England—that they, um, who have they beaten? Who did they beat to get to the semi-finals or the final of a tournament? And the fact is, if you look at who gets to the finals of tournaments, if you actually analyse who wins them, they don't. You don't beat Germany 7-0, then Brazil 5-0, then Belgium 10-0. You tend to beat teams who are slightly worse than you and get to the final. That, every tournament run is full of teams that might beat you, but you, you end up beating them, just as winning the league. Man City are very good at beating everyone else, aren't they? And um, that's that's how you win. It's, it's a surprisingly surprising how many people don't seem to grasp that.
2: <laughs> um, Leicester have let in 22 goals in their opening seven games, Robin. Most by any team ever at this stage. Are we just waiting for a Brendan Rodgers announcement, presumably just after this pod finishes? It's an international break. Their next game's a Forest Bournemouth Palace Leeds and Wolves. You know, if you're a new manager, you're like, can I have it now, please?
1: Yeah. Um, there was a Spades in the EFL yesterday, and there's a couple more. There might be another one today. Three or four managers have gone, so this seems to be the, the start of it. Yeah, I just think, I mean, it's, I might ask Nadim, actually, because like the same thing keeps happening again and again and again. Last season was all about set pieces and corners. It's becoming everyone flags it up as soon as they can see the corner. I mean, getting rid of him, I'm not sure if that's going to change it, but it just it does seem like this is on him a little bit, at least.
0: Yeah. Uh, What I would say to that is as soon as you start doing something in the game, which becomes like an obvious weakness, like everybody sees it and it's a talking point for the opposition. So they they will always give you a different sort of look to how they might give somebody else because now people are coming forward almost expecting to score. They're to put an emphasis on like, we're going to do this. So sometimes they might overload the front because they might think Leicester are weak at the front or they might overload the back or they might realise, say, when they look at the Leicester team, it's not the biggest team in the world and some of the people being asked to do jobs. It's not necessarily, you know, second nature to them to do it. So you think, oh, okay, this is how we're going to do it. This is how I'm going to create the chances. No guarantee you'll score. But also being on the other side where you're a team that's to concede quite a few, Like you look around and you think, okay, this is going to be the week where we'll be fine. And the next thing, wallop, you've conceded again. It's uh, like, right, just kick out for a throw in. We can't take any more of these corners. This is getting a bit ridiculous. And it's... uh it's a tough game, but I think my the biggest alarm for me not from that Leicester performance, as was the case with other ones, is that like they can attack fine. You know They look familiar in the way that they do it, but it's sort of like the understanding of managing the moments because, like I said at the start, no way should Son be running through 1v1 in an open game when you're 5-2 down with literally five minutes to go or whatever it was. So if you don't have enough people that can sort of grasp that and have the right mentality to just say, this is all it is, we're not going to do any more, then it means you know you'll be going into some games, and teams will always get an opportunity against you because they know that you're going to be open at some point.
3: Do, do you think um, uh, one of the problems Leicester face is they have a they have a new defender, um, the new Belgian defender Valtface, who has really long, shaggy hair. And like, <laughs> defenders like that are just destined to be tumbling into the goal. Some, you know, Fabio Coloccini. I, you know, just every image I have of him is him desperately lunging back, falling over.
2: It just I see I see that and I think no. Has, has there ever been a, a long-haired sort of buffy haired defender that killed Klein or was that straight hair? I'm yeah, no, to he
1: think. was like a, a man the who...
3: mountain with um like yeah, a heavy I'm metal.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying hair. to think.
1: It... It's the frizzy hair, isn't it? It's the frizz.
0: Yeah, the frizz. Yeah. Does it depend if you like David Luiz or not? Cause does he not yeah. fall into that? Well, he was at his best, wasn't he, in a three where he probably was not exposed
3: to to falling over his own feet, legging it back. <laughs> it's just something about that. It looks chaotic. It spreads disorder. Um, <laughs> it's probably like Nedum was saying, like I, that thing of identifying a weakness. Like if you say this defender is 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 not very quick, we can get at him. The minute you say that. Like everyone's not really doesn't like people sprinting at them. The minute you say oh, that Trent Alexander, <laughs> yeah. if you run behind him, you'll get. So the minute you focus on that, it becomes a weakness because everyone has that weakness. And maybe yeah. the the shaggy hair is the same thing. I mean,
2: well, uh, uh, Todd Todd Bowley said, you know, um, All Star Game North v South, and we we went for tall v short would be interesting. But actually, uh, if you picked a frizzy haired Premier League eleven or sort of World <laughs> eleven, I would absolutely love to watch. Now, you've still got David Luiz, Valtface, and Cucurella. I'm just, I don't have a right back instantly to mind. And Fellaini is obviously somewhere in the midfield. And I guess René Higuita. And, yeah. Oh, Valderrama will play, won't he? So you get yeah. those guys in. Be really, I mean, you'd really <laughs> love to go and watch that game. It's just really entertaining, just hair flying around everywhere. It'll be absolutely glorious. Just
1: tumbling over yeah. each other, all of them. <laughs> <Exactly>. Clowns. <laughs>
2: Melvin says, is it dispiriting to see a team and dominant centre-forward so certain to win the league or will teams work out Arsenal and Gabriel Jesus? Um, yeah, they keep winning games. As you said, Nadam, keep winning games they didn't win last season. And I think that the, the thing from this game that I thought was it, it just seemed so straightforward that 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 is it's just not very Arsenal to even win games like that in, in such a simple way. It was sort of hard to know what to analyse from it because it was just, well, they just turned up and won.
0: Yeah, it." it- So I was watching the game and I saw um, Brentford were applying pressure to Arsenal. They were really trying to press early doors and make them uncomfortable. And Arsenal was still just kind of moving the ball. I was like, hmm, okay. So maybe there's a mistake coming. Brentford kept trying to press. Arsenal kept moving the ball. And then before you know it, I think Martinelli had a big chance where he fell over. And that was probably the floor of the first half. Um, And they just showed really good character composure and belief. Because I think when you when you start to feel under pressure as a player, um, especially away from home, it's very easy to just change what you're doing and say, we're just going to go along or we're just going to go and do something which maybe, you know, we don't want to do, but it's the right thing for that moment. But they were very consistent. And I think for as good as the result was, like there were elements of that performance which were very, very elite because I think others are going to go there and they're not going to have the same sort of joy when the same pressure is applied. And, you know, you think about the fact that, say, like someone like Tony just got an England call up Frank's been spoken about for this place there's a good mood in the place but Arsenal just they just control the game of football I didn't think they had that in them and they says they're controlling it and now they're top of the league obviously the timing of the goals and stuff helps but it was very impressive Max subtly very impressive and it puts you again in this weird position where you're like well they're still top so for all the talk about Haaland this that and the other Arsenal was still top and they've lost the game but they're still top.
2: Can you make it unsubtle for me? Who who is how is that happening? How what what what
0: is it? So there's a, defensively, I think, I think they're good. They've got good structure, they've got a good goalkeeper. I think with Partey and Shaka and stuff in there, they've got good experience and good composure, which seems strange to say about Granit Shaka, but he's like overall he's very composed yesterday. And then they have a front line who was very dangerous. Saka's gonna go and take it to you. is gonna take it to you and Jesus, even though he's you know it's not exactly six foot four. Is pushing people around and offering like a different sort of threat to what people face on a week to week basis. So when you see the way that they are playing, they're very, very confident. They believe in the system, they believe in what they're doing, which is why, you know, other teams like Liverpool City and stuff have been successful in recent years because everyone gets it. They're all good players and they all get it. They all know it and they all have the sort of character to really like push it through. And the mistakes, like, you know, every team has mistakes at some point, but for them, they're minimizing them and they're covering up for each other's mistakes. So it's actually like a really cohesive Arsenal team to understand what they're doing. And they've got really key players in key positions. And as a consequence, like, you know, as it stands, I could see they could beat anybody. Obviously, they lost to Man United. They could beat anybody. But the biggest skill, as we said earlier, is the fact that they've beaten everybody else as well. Because if they didn't say that lost to Man United, you think it'd be crippling. Yet still, they are top of the Premier League because they've managed to get seven or eight wins against others, which have been very important for them.
2: Robin, how convinced... Are you becoming by Arteta and the Arsenal machine?
1: Well, they, they haven't beaten anyone yet, have they? No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I, I am. I think. I, I think just because of what's happened in the years previous, you're still. It's still going to take a long time. It's almost that sort of, um, you know, when Leicester won the league, that situation where you're still like waiting, <laughs> even though they're kind of they're definitely going to win it after like a couple more. More three points. So I think it's going to take a while for those wounds to heal, I feel. But uh, but no, it's really impressive. I think that the main thing is that they really have an identity and they stick to it. Because even though they lost to Man United and Arteta got really, he got quite, quite, uh, quite a lot of criticism for, you know, that he made that triple substitution. It didn't work, but that's what he wanted to do. And I just, I like the conviction that they have. So it's like, this is what we're going to do. And actually... I think that's a big thing because there are some teams. I mean, that that you're still not absolutely sure what they're trying to do. The only other note I made here was um, Fabio uh, Vieira's goal was was brilliant, but you don't you don't see many goatees in football (laughs) these days,
2: right? So is it the frizzy haired eleven versus the goatee? I'm
1: not sure if there's any others. I don't know if that did David Brent kill that off? Do you think David
2: James did David James count? I mean, he definitely had one, but you're right. I can't. Did did um. Jesus Navas have one. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm really, I'm really struggling here. Um, I'll, I'll give it some. I'll give mm, it some thoughts. Please do. And Arsenal play Spurs next week after the international break. The yeah. early kickoff on a Saturday, which will be fascinating, won't it? Um, Producer Joel saying Abel Xavier had a goatee. He did, yeah, and a blonde one at that. Mm. Now, 15 years and 181 days old, Ethan Nenwery, uh came on the pitch, the youngest ever Premier League player. Uh, number one was Walk This Way by the Sugar Babes versus Girls Girls Allowed. He's six years younger than Bakayo Saka. Colin Miller, the journalist, tweeting, this is the first ever football weekly where the pod is older than a Premier League player. Amos says, How many items of clothing do you have that are older than Arsenal's Ethan Moeri? i I think um I think I've got a backpacking rucksack from ninety-seven. I mean, that's older than many <laughs> Premier League players. Um but yeah, I don't know how that I don't know how I'm dealing with aging, but you know, I don't I I am probably wrong.
3: It's just my opinion. I don't think children should be playing elite sport in any sport. Okay. Um I just don't um I, you know, what well, who does this benefit? I mean, yeah, it's experience for him, but there's a lot of good football he can be playing. I just think that he'd be better off if we weren't talking about him and he wasn't exposed to that entirely adult world at this stage in his life it's just my opinion in every sport you know there was a 15 year old girl in the women's 100 this year who didn't play and i thought i i talked to some coaches about this and there is a there is a strong view that children should not be playing it, it, when you see gymnastics you know mm-hmm. um, and all those a lot of olympic sports Obviously, those, a lot of those are predicated on the fact that they explicitly coach them towards um, things that only children can do. And that's completely wrong. And that's nothing to do with football. Football is not that. This kid is obviously very mature and can cope with a man's game. So it's the opposite in many ways. But I, I don't know. I just personally, I would have a policy of not having children playing
2: where would you put it? What's eight seventeen? What's the What's the limit? I would say at
3: least, I mean, you know, we have ages where we decide people are mature, don't we? At 16, you're mature enough to do some things. At 17, 18 others, I'd probably say 16. Uh, even though that's entirely arbitrary age of one 16-year-old yeah, is a lot more immature than... Um, obviously, they know this guy really well and he's very mature and they've decided he can cope with it. But uh, to me, it always makes me
2: feel a little uncomfortable. Just me. Nadam, you obviously bring through the system what would you say?
0: For me, in regards to people coming through really, really young, Like you can't just have one thing. You can't just be physically good and not technically good or technically good and not physically good. So the ones who come through, they have both because you do need to enter that realm where you are playing with other men. And so you need to be, be able to defend yourself physically, but then also tactically and technically be good enough as well. And as I saw him, I looked at him, I thought, wow, he looks he looks big and old for a 15-year-old. Look, mm. and even the fact that the crazy thing was, he's, maybe he was playing it down, but he didn't even look that excited when he was coming on. Didn't look that excited when he was on. Didn't look that excited when he was walking off. It's like that's a very important moment. But obviously, the fact that he's younger, he's probably not grasped how important that moment is for the for the Premier League and for Arsenal. But again, like it's tough to just put a specific age on it because some people are ready earlier than others. And my only concern, really is that what, what are you thinking if you're in the Arsenal Academy at any of the age groups above the under-15s and 16s and you've seen that somebody's come up and just vaulted a hundred of you or something like that? And this is, this is the next talent. Everybody else, you can go and put yourself in the bin because everything now begins at under-16. You as an 18-year-old, you're past your best now already.
3: That's actually a very good point because on Match of the Day, they said this sends... This sends a message to everyone in the academy that if you're good enough, but you're right. If you're an under seventeen, you've been working, thinking about that moment. You'd be pretty dispirited, actually, wouldn't you? Be thinking, well, where does that leave me? I've been. They've looked at me and thought, no. (laughs) And looked at, looked at him. I mean, I'd add also emotionally mature. You have to be, I don't know him. No, They know him well. You know, they see this kid all the time. They know his parents. They know his family, know him. So obviously they've made a judgment that he's emotionally mature enough to cope with that. I'd just say that, I mean, I know my point doesn't make any sense because like we say, people mature at different ages, but across the whole of football, is it going to help you Is it going to be a good thing or a bad thing? What's it going to give you to play age 15? Is that on the whole going to be destabilising or encouraging? I I don't know what the answer is, but I think we should be cautious.
2: That's all. I think that's the interesting point, Robin, isn't it? Technically, physically, but mentally. And that is so so hard to quantify. And we have no idea if this guy will go on and be an absolute superstar or not. And they may have nothing to do with whether he had a game at 15 or he didn't.
1: Well, yeah, and that's the kind of, that's the point, isn't it? Because now everyone's going to think, well, he got on, he got on for us. I know it was only for like 90 seconds, but if he doesn't make it now, it's it's almost like, oh, well, it's a failure. Um, well, and I don't even, I don't even know what, <laughs> what make it, but you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. is putting a lot of pressure on We've already
3: written him off. Yeah, well, that's kid. it. Like, he's not emotionally, I'm saying he's not emotionally mature enough. We, we're not and he's a failure.
1: <laughs> yeah. No I, I think Bar- no, I think Barney's right, though. I think, uh, obviously, they know him well, but... When you think about the average 15-year-old and then playing in the Premier League, I mean, I don't know how many would cope with that you know, properly. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Na- Nadam, I mean, yeah, he, d- he did look, he didn't look 15. It wasn't like kind of, you know, Kevin, Harry Enfield. Sort of <laughs> <coming> <laughs> on. That's
2: that's, what I look, that's what, exactly what I looked like when I was 15. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have. I'd have been in DM boots wearing a James <laughs> t-shirt. I just don't think it would have worked that well. Anyway, that, that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll start at Molyneux.
1: It would start off with a random girl and just say, Hey, Hun, I'm going to tell you some secret now. Please don't mention it to anybody. But it quickly escalates. It just spread like a wildfire. I still sleep with clubs next to my bed. I didn't know how far this was going to go. People seldom show their true selves online, but one man, he's taken it much further. I was terrified. Who is the cyberstalker behind these messages? He actually said to me, good luck, proving it's me.
0: And why is he sending them?
1: Because he became more and more isolated. He just went within himself even further.
3: Do you punish someone for acting out whatever is going on in their
0: mind that we don't understand?
1: And if I could just turn back the clock? From The Guardian, I'm showing Carlay... And this is Can I Tell You a Secret? A story about obsession, fear, and the lives we lead online. Search for Can I Tell You a Secret wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. All episodes will be available on Friday, the 23rd of September.
2: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Wolves nil Manchester City three. Haaland scored for the seventh consecutive game, uh, 14 in the past nine. Um, Brian says, if Naden was playing against Haaland, how would he approach it? Uh, or is he happy he's retired and, and doesn't have to? Uh, Mark says, you've watched Haaland scoring repeatedly. Any suggestions as to how teams might sensibly defend him mm. and the balance of De Bruyne, Foden, Bernardo, etc.?
0: Yeah, uh, well, now that you've mentioned all those other guys, it forms some sort of a match-up nightmare, doesn't it? It's right. right, don't worry, yeah. I'll take Haaland you go take De Bruyne, you go take Foden, you go take this guy. That's it. It's simple because most of the teams have that depth of talent, don't they? You know, obviously, duh. No, um, he's, he's very, very good. And when you sort of hear his story about how, like uh, when he was younger, he was a lot smaller than everybody else playing. um, Well, interestingly, like old age football. So we had to make sure his movement was spot on because he didn't have the physical advantage. And now here's the growth spurt. Now he's got the physical advantage and all the movement he had before when playing as a smaller player. So, it's a very, very tough matchup. And I think as far as defending goals, this is my bailout for all defenders out there. You can never guarantee someone won't score, but you can make it as hard for them as possible. And I think when you play City, you've got to think about the supply because he, you know, he's not going to get the ball from 60 yards out and just run at you and then take on five people and slot it in the top corner. Well, maybe he will one day, but I don't think that's the way it works. But if you make try and make them uncomfortable in terms of their play, play through to him, then at least the finish has to be better or the pass has to be better. So I'd just say, just go out and play and just hope for the best as I sit there with my chocolate digestives in hand, just watching as he uh, wreaks havoc upon teams along with other players. Because it's, like you said, there's a matchup nightmare. If if Kevin De Bruyne's in the turn, like someone could say, I'm just going to go and man-mark him. But the next thing, you've got someone else that's just completely free somewhere else. So they're pretty good when they play well. <laughs> they're, they're not bad. That might be in a slight, um, slightly underwhelming. But yeah, I think they'll be okay this year.
2: Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned De Bruyne. I sort of wonder if he's he's sort of having actually an abs- I mean he's had so many brilliant spells but he's having a phenomenal spell but because of Haaland Kevin De Bruyne is going under the radar at the moment. Yeah, kind of, but I think his um
3: his phenomenal spell is the two things are related. Um he they have two players in there who are able to produce these constant repetitions that are almost unstoppable. De Bruyne's crossing and that kind of final pass from anywhere on the right um, is so good and so accurate and so quick. And now he's got someone who is always looking for it and moving into the right space. I mean, Harland is really, I mean, obviously everyone's got, it's not hard to pick out that he's, He's. they're just so good. But I, I went to see, I went to the Community Shield game where he, yeah, he had a terrible debut. He wasn't, he wasn't fit. Um, and I said, this is going to take time. And and to be fair, I was right. It took it took one game, you know. But that is still time. Tar- that technically, count- I think probably one game in twenty minutes. That's still time. It did take time. And that, I mean, luckily, it turns out Pep Guardiola is is a really good coach. You know, he knows. And this is like a just a. It's like a, a kid, someone who makes really complex Lego sets. You've given him pretty straightforward little one of the little Star Wars things, and he just puts it together in twenty seconds and says, "There you go, that'll work." Um, to him this is probably not a difficult task to make. I I was wondering would would, um, we always felt they needed a centre forward so they've kind of got just this phenomenal centre forward who can, has got a standing leap that's just mind boggling and yeah movement, speed mentality. How many goals would uh, just a regular good centre forward, (laughs) if Mitrovic was in Man City's team how many would he get? I mean probably a lot, nowhere near Harlem because some of those finishes are just you know creative and stuff that average humans can't do. But um yeah, they've 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 added the bit we felt they needed, but he gives twenty percent above that because he's incredible. Um and physically he can do this incredible stuff. The only other thing I've written down about this game is that Bruno Large looks like one of the humans in Toy Story. <laughs> that's
2: actually true, isn't it? That's also true. Oh, not, not, he doesn't look like Woody. He looks like one of the, one of the humans. In- one right. of the grown up, like grown up,
3: is it and grown up Andy? Yeah, possibly. Like the, it's got yeah. that sort
2: of fat, yeah. It's yeah. an important note so, to make. Is that helpful? I don't know if that's I helpful. I think it is helpful. Um, Jack Grealish had, a, had a, a good start to the game, didn't he? And, and he did well. And he also got sort of kicked in the, um, uh, the nether regions or maybe just above actually it was incredibly high (laughs) ridiculous foul from Nathan (laughs) Collins Um, to which actually uh, Mike says I don't know why I've always enjoyed seeing players complain about refereeing decisions that just can't be complained about what do you think Nathan Collins was saying when he complained about his red card no idea but we did Robin write off Jack Grealish on Thursday can we write him back on again
1: well I thought I thought actually because I I loved watching him at Villa he was like a real maverick and was allowed to pretty much do what he wanted. And I do feel like at City, you're kind of supposed to be the sort of functional part. And and up until almost yester, or uh, whenever the game was, two days ago, he kind of was. And he was doing his job and he was doing it fine. But then against Wolves, he was doing more uh, dribbles. Uh, obviously, the goal got into a good position um, where he kind of drifted it, drifted inside. So I do feel like he... He was kind of unshackled a little bit. And I don't know whether he took it upon himself to do that or if Pep sort of allowed him to, but I do feel like we that's been missing a little bit. And but that's what I like. You know, he was the most fouled player famously, wasn't he, for Villa. And um, you know, that's what we want. More Maisie runs, more being clattered, that hair being splayed out, and it's just that's that's all I want to see more. Um yeah, the other thing is I've been I've been binging Cobra Kai. Right. I just wonder if um yes. Nathan Collins
2: had been Was doing, the, doing same.
1: the same. I, I, I would have loved if he'd done that, you know, ball.
2: After, <laughs> yeah. after well, No, this question from Alan was good as well. It says, how, how high would their player's foot need to smash into Jack Grudish's body before home fans wouldn't boo him for the rest of the game? It's slightly unfair to be booed <laughs> relentlessly for being kicked. Tamish says, should Leicester Wolves just swap managers? One is good going forward, but can't organise a defence. The other is defensively sound, can't buy a goal. They could just build on the other's platforms while fixing their weaknesses. Only an hour's drive between them. Plus, most importantly, both clubs' nicknames are animals, so there'd be no confusion or mixing metaphors in team talks. It's a very good idea. Uh, let's go to the city ground, Forest 2, Fulham 3. Robin, you were there. How was it?
1: It was cold, man. I got caught out. Okay. Like, the big coat needs to come oh. out of hibernation. But uh, right. but no, it, it was good. But yeah, it happened again to, to Forest. Um, they, they actually looked really good and, and more steely and more solid. And then they just completely capitulated again um and i mean Fulham are a great watch it was a bit boring the first half actually they were playing they were just passing it around each other and it reminded me of that simpsons episode you know with the soccer yes. and then mm. and then there's a riot because they were just passing it around <laughs> around each other um but yeah it 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 was great but steve cooper said afterwards like yeah um we basically Got too many new faces and they don't really know each other. And then the international break isn't going to help him with that because they're all going off. So you know, there's no room for a kind of I don't know team building laser quest thing. I, I don't know what they'd do. But i got to say, Fulham are a great watch this season. And um I know I said it on a previous pod, but Tim Ream is having a great season. And then Marco Silva, because Anthony Robinson was um was injured, puts him at left back, and he has another absolute worldie. I mean. It's taking the piss. It's like it's like really, really like, look at all, all these managers who didn't trust him in the Premier League. He is, you know, he's 34. He's just having an absolutely brilliant season.
0: Yeah, Tim Rim's a good player. I was gonna I was gonna say in regards to that Cooper Cooper stuff, did he actually come out and say that there are too many new faces? Did he say that?
1: He he said, I think um roughly he said that he saw thing um Bits of the game, it looked like they knew each other, but then there were bits of the game where it f- he felt like they were a new team. That's basically what he said.
0: Isn't that wild? How could such a thing happen? All these new faces <laughs> just arrived here completely <laughs> by accident. That's the. It's not the, something you've
1: experienced. The, is, isn't no, you? <laughs> no, not, not, not
0: 20, because you say with all those players, like some of them are actively being brought and they're going to sit on the bench and there's nothing you can do about it. Most signings coming in. You're being sold a vision of starting and playing games. But when you see that someone else is already new in your position, it's like, well, what am I, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? And it's fine, when, it's fine when you're winning. The test is when you're losing and you're surrounded by a bunch of strangers in a new environment, being told everything's going to be all right. It's like, you're cynical. like, is it though? Is it, are we going to be okay? Is this the way it's going to be? But I don't know. People still have hope in Forest, and th- there's plenty of time for them to do well. But I think there's a strength within football where you have continuity and the fact that they have none as they have the biggest challenge they've faced in 23 years or whatever it is. Like, I think you can see the difference. Fulham have experienced it a few times. And for as much as the fact they're not perfect, they still look a lot more comfortable at this level. Whereas for Forest, they're making mistakes, which are coming from the games where I'd imagine the fan base probably expects three points. A game against Fulham at home, you're thinking, well, this is this is where we get the next three. But as every one of these games goes past, are you going to be getting against a side that's ranked higher in the league? Who knows?
1: Well, I think we'll get on to the next, uh, Bournemouth. But it's like... This is the cool kind of experiment, isn't it? Forest have got spent loads of money and got new players. Bournemouth have barely got new players in, but they obviously had a really successful season together last season and they know each other's names and stuff like that. So yeah. this is the kind of thing which, which will be more effective in the end, I'm not sure. But Bournemouth have got more points than Nottingham Forest in the moment.
3: Plus, of course, Forest still don't have a sponsor, which to me just it doesn't seem real I'm not sure if the season is real or is it void in some way I look at them and I I don't know what I look at them playing and I don't know what product they want me to buy yeah. it's
2: confusing but, but it is nice I, isn't it Barney I, it looks so I, I, nice no, it's, so Pure it's not and it started clean. off
3: nice right. no because the shirt's designed with a huge hole in the middle there is a hole where there should be a spot. fine have a big badge design the shirt differently there's an absence there they're playing with an absence and I, I look at them and I think what do you what do you what do you want me to purchase I log on to random betting websites just to try and find their name somewhere or make some sense. of it. But it, there is a kind of unpreparedness about that. It does reflect the team. It's like someone running around with their pajamas poking out the bottom of their wedding suit. It's like you don't look ready. You don't You don't have a, an illegal Chinese betting website on your chest. And you have lots of new players sitting on the bench saying, oh, I was in Sweden about three days ago. It's... <laughs>
2: I love the idea, Barney. That in the eighties you were just there watching a JVC TV, painting your walls with Crown paints, and drinking Holston and and doing what and, and, and buying lots of Wang, whatever it was. Um, Matt says, "How many January signings do Forest need to stay up?" Yes, that's an excellent question. I guess. I guess the point is, Steve Cooper is a really good manager. There's no point in them. You, if you change that, which I, I don't think anyone's suggesting, they do the new manager would have all the same problems, right? So no, no, they well- should
3: get rid of him and get they should get five new managers. It does, <laughs> it's inconsistent. Like, why are you you're sticking with the manager and you're buying 30 new players? Get rid of him. I need four
2: Portuguese guys by next week and then it will finally make sense. <laughs> Quickly, Robin, Palinja scored a beautiful side foot pass of the Bronx. How, how, how good is he in the flesh?
1: He's brilliant, yeah, because he's a real destroyer as well. Um, he's under the radar, one of the best signings, of the summer definitely for Fulham and I, I imagine this probably it'll be at city probably next summer um yeah no he, he's really good um really tenacious the only thing is I think uh he celebrated with the crowd I believe that was his fifth booking so he's going to miss <laughs> the next
0: game ridiculous
2: rule isn't it right, let's go to oh, some James's part then yeah. Newcastle won Bournemouth one Joshua says Newcastle have only won one game this season is Eddie Howe doing a worse job than anyone is talking about, Nadim. They've, they've only lost one as well, which I think was to Liverpool in injury time. It feels mm. like they sh- they should be doing better than this. But I guess they had no Cannon wilson no Sam Maximum. That, that is not as good a Newcastle when, when those two are fit.
0: Yeah, and you would, you would in the same breath though, we'd also hope that like one or two players being out doesn't mean that the wheels fall off completely. You know, they have lost, well, I say they have lost the ambitions. I don't know if that's true as a fact, but... They are an interesting side because I see them and I see the positives that they have. I saw the way they played against City, seen them against Liverpool and stuff and certain elements are really good. But this is the test now. It's like converting these draws into wins because the other sides who they're trying to go up against, potentially. They're very good at converting draws into wins. Games where maybe they don't play well, they'll still find a result. So it's going to be... Um, it's, not, it's not a test as such. It's part of the process. But pre- I think the pressure will come because for now, everyone's talking about performance. But then after the international break, if it stays like this, we'll be talking about the points and their position in the league will matter more because it's going to be, well, are they doing well enough? Because now, Isaac's a scoring, St. James's Park is roaring, you know, everything's great. I didn't want to do another rhyme then. I apologise. They've okay. completed that back. Yeah.
3: You could have said boring. Something's boring. Yeah, yeah. no.
0: Well, they're not boring. Either. That's the thing. They're, uh, they're interesting. They're interesting. So, yeah, I think the next series of results after an international break will li- really kind of set the tone because for all we know, they might be in a great spot or Eddie Howe might be under pressure even though he's got the team playing in a certain manner. The expectations, they're going to only continue to rise. And if it's perceived that he's not going to be helping them get those results, then I'd imagine he'd understand why he'd feel some level of pressure because you know the setup is there for them to be more successful.
2: Barney, five points in three games for Gary O'Neill. It's 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 looking very much like they will give him the job and then next game Bournemouth will lose 100 nil, and then will for the rest of time. Uh, (laughs) yeah that's that's a big call Um, he's sort of got
3: he has definitely got that kind of nice interim manager nice guy kind of feel about him who's on match of the day a few times doing an interview and then just disappears (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah I mean that they they have Bournemouth um, you know obviously they're trying to they're trying to sell the club aren't they so that will probably decide what happens with the management. Um, and they're, they're going for an American, American owner, which will you know, probably, I think, increase the number of American owners. I think, is, is it nine now? It's getting
2: to eight or nine, which is um, it's a sign of something happening. No, because it's interesting. We've got the pod with, with Gary Neville that we recorded a couple of weeks ago, and he is very anti-US investment with their model. And do you agree with him? No,
3: I don't. Um, he's expressed that wrong. Um, what he should be saying, um, it's not anti-Americanism. It's anti-arrogant, under-informed moronism. Like, anyway, it doesn't matter where you could come from from Iceland. If you breeze into an existing culture and assume that the way you want to do things is the correct way and that there's no need to understand what's been happening there for 120 years, if you want to just throw money around almost sort of idiotically, if you want to get rid of experts, such as Thomas Tuchel, because they don't want to discuss with you, a non-expert, what should happen. Then if you want to say those are American qualities and then say if you're anti-that, then you must be anti-American, that seems to me in itself anti-American. I, d- I don't think it matters what Todd Bowley's accent is or where he's come from. I think he's made some very strange decisions that people are going to going to question. And, and there's no doubt that um, he said... Um, the Premier League and he could learn something from American sport. He introduced the idea of America because something is in America, it must, it is good, and you could learn from it. So that came from Todd Bowley, not from from Gary Neville. And Gary Neville said, "Well, we should be slightly wary of that." The fact is, American sport does have checks and balances um, to, uh, to that we don't have in English football to compete a competitive product. They know that if if one owner becomes too wealthy and powerful, it's going to destroy the integrity of the league. So they have. a You know, the draft system counterbalances that. They have salary caps, which are actually quite a good idea. And if that were in any way enforceable, which it totally isn't, that would, I think, be a really good idea to introduce. But it it would just fall apart because it's international uh, flow of... Dark money has hardly been halted by 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 things which are illegal under UK law. So you're not going to be able to manage a salary cap. But no, he shouldn't have said uh I'm worried about American people. He should have been worried about hyper capitalism and um ill-informed uh throwing your weight around kind of uh owners rather than mm. America. It's not to do with being American. Sure.
2: Yeah, I mean to be fair to him, I think he was talking about American not all American, you know, it wasn't like an all American thing, it was you know, no, but it came out, out like of, that and people have, dis- yeah.
3: people have dismissed his concerns as anti Americanism. It's not that, it's no. anti idiotism.
2: Uh, and that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll begin at Goodison. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Everton won, West Ham nil. Everton's first win of the season, Robin Neil Mopai scoring a great goal. Is Lampard turning it around?
1: I think he is slowly, isn't he? Um, sort of on an unbeaten run. Um, it was a really good goal from Neil Mopet. Yeah, no, I think he kind of uh, started to make them look a lot more solid, missing Jordan Pickford as well. And um, yeah, it's quite a big win. I'm not sure, I, you know, I don't I don't think they're going to be in a relegation battle, but I don't think they're going to pull up any trees. And I think that's probably what is required for this season for Everton. Well, pretty worried about West Ham, though. They look... Um, Very flat at the moment.
2: Yeah. Just a question on Everton to you, Nadim. You were talking about Leicester and their defence and how it just sort of doesn't look like it knows knows what it's doing. Everton have recruited sort of sensibly there and that four look really quite good, don't they?
0: Yeah, they do. They do. But defensively, it's not necessarily solely about the back four. It's about the collective around you as well. So the midfielder are helping out, the forward line are helping out. And I think Lampard understood that was going to be the assignment because just leaving four to defend, you'll get overloads and bad things will happen. But you know, fair play to them. I think in signing Connor Cody, I think that's a really good signing. He's somebody who, you know, seems desperate to defend, to defend well and to do it with his teammates and un- make them understand how important to- how important it is to be in the right position, to be making the right decisions and those sorts of leaders bringing them in. Like, you know, as an England international, that is a really, really good signing. And as a consequence, they've not won a ton of games and at times they've not looked that good, but they've always been in and around the game because they're not conceding too many. I'm not sure exactly I think yeah they've conceded I think it's 6 goals in 7 games that's very good you know and when we think about Everton last year when they were falling off the falling off the planet with some of the results and so on they looked like a side which people would almost enjoy playing against whereas that has now gone it feels like and at least for, well at least for now anyway so I think fair play to them from building from the back because the glamorous thing to do to try and get fans on side more, most of the time is just build from the front do something really sexy and exciting bring this in, say we're gonna be getting fifty five crosses in a game from a from a person wearing white boots who's gonna take an underlap from this inverted fullback who comes inside and all this. But
2: hey James Tarkovsky could do that. You don't
0: don't know. Well yeah it might not look as good as say someone else doing it, but he definitely could. That's a fact.
2: Barney, West Ham have scored three goals in seven matches again doesn't sound amazingly interesting David Moyes a bit touchy afterwards someone called him Moisey and he was disappointed with being referred to as Moisey it was a little bit familiar Um, how worried should West Ham be how worried should David Moyes be how worried should we all be about their predicament well
3: David Moyes should should definitely be worried David Moyes (laughs) is the best David Moyes David Moyes just looking furious and looking around himself eyes wide that's the David Moyes I like (laughs) And I think that's the David Moyes that is, is most successful. I don't know, is is David Moyes a victim of his own success? That, that's the yes. thing people say in football, isn't it? I mean, they are they as good as they seem to be? They had a really good season, but, but in many ways that was... That was a mistake. Um, some players... Well, no, some of the players played really well and they kind of... I guess they've recruited up front now, but that doesn't seem to have actually improved them. <laughs> um, that was always the thing. Oh, well, they they lacked depth up. Uh, up front, But now they do have that and they seem to got much worse. Uh, they'll be fine. They'll get relegated. I think that there's a danger they might sack David Moyes and then that who knows what would happen. Um, I don't think the players in the squad are necessarily so good that they should be sixth, fifth in the league. Um, they'll be okay. They'll get it together, start winning a few games. David Moyes will look worried. He'll be fine.
2: Uh, Villa 1, Southampton nil. Jeff Stelling tweeted, Villa Southampton must be up there with the worst ever Premier League games. A terrible advert for the Premier League, Robin.
1: Yeah, I believe that's why Barry isn't here. Is it? He's, he's at the library um, <laughs> continuing his research as to whether Ralph Hassenhutl is yeah, any good. True. So we keep going with that. The research continues.
3: That's a fair point. Don't, don't, Southampton seem to lose. They lose every game, <laughs> ten. but are somehow yeah, not ten. bottom of the league. How, how, I don't know how that works.
1: Southampton are so weird, man. They, so they they beat Chelsea, and then they immediately lose to Wolves, who were who are really not very good. It, it's just they, yeah. They, as I say, they really need a PhD uh, on on Southampton. Mm-hmm.
0: I th- I, well, this is a two the First thing, like Southampton now, all of a sudden, because of the recruitment feel like an under 23s team. There's certain elements mm-hmm. where they do just feel really youthful, and the players have got a lot of potential. But it's weird seeing them sort of just competing at this Premier League level, because when it clicks, it's great, but when it's not clicking, it's like, I don't currently have the belief they'll get out of any situation, which is a negative one that's happening within a game. But then to give credit, like, I think that signing uh, Bella Kochap, I think he's going to be really good, you know? I think he's going to be really good. One of my friends, I think he brought him over and he said he's supposed to be the next big thing and I was like, yeah, okay, good luck with that. But I kind of get it. On the other side of it, um, I was guilty of being involved in one of the worst games in Premier League history. Oh, right. And it was. Yeah, it's 2015, and it was a game. I think it's 2015, a game between QPR. or maybe it's 13. A game between QPR and Reading. Yeah, sounds bad. Or sounds bad already. <laughs> and it was at Reading. I think it was on a Sunday. It was. On, it was on TV. Early kickoff. It off. was a case of must be yes, early kickoff. Yeah, if you you want, we were both about to go down. But if you won you stayed up for another week and it finished nil-nil. <laughs> so you make of that whatever you want. <laughs> and we both went down that day. Oh, no. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that's what happened. Was yeah. it
2: quite nice to, for the other team to also get relegated on the same day? Like, Did it, did it kind uh, of ease the pain a little bit?
0: Could you hold each other? Yeah. No, it's just, it was just one of those where, you know, even if the team had won, you'd go into the next week and you probably would have gone down because we were just all so bad. Like when, when the wheels fall off in the Premier League and you're just a horrible, horrible team. You're like, we've still got the chance. We've still got the chance. We'll be okay. But the fans are turning up knowing it's going to be awful. And the players are turning up knowing like, this is going to be like the scrappiest thing ever, I and mean, just hope for the best. But it's ultimately not going to be the great show and performance. This is the Premier League. This is Reading versus QPR. <laughs> yeah, if,
2: Nathan, if, if there's another pandemic and we have to go back to doing watch-alongs, we'll do that yeah. as the first one. We'll do Reading nil, oh. QPR nil. We we'll get, oh, get you gosh. and a couple other players and just oh, watch wow. it back for the agony. Um, oh, it's horrible. Uh, Let's talk about Brighton's new manager. Um, they've brought in uh, Shakhtar, former Shakhtar and Sassuolo boss Roberto Di Zerbi as a manager. Uh, beyond having a goatee, Barney, do we? Do you know any more? Well, um, he's kind of um, yeah, he's he's
3: in his backstory, and he's kind of Grey and Potter with a sculpted beard. Really, I mean, he's he's been on a similar kind of journey. He's a he's a intelligent, sort of data friendly kind of coach. Um, he, I think from what I've read, I don't know, um, have, I can't claim to have watched his teams a lot in the flesh. He seems a, maybe a little bit more attacking in style than early Graham Potter was. But they, they've they been looking at coaches for a long time, you know, while Graham Potter was still there. And they've decided this guy, they, they, they described him as a cultural fit Um which is kind of good. I mean, I guess if you want to just carry on the culture you've got, that makes sense. There wasn't, they didn't sack their manager. There was nothing wrong. The team functioning really well. So, if you want, a uh, you know, a slightly more exciting looking Graham Potter with good facial hair, then that's the re- they've done the research and that's what they've
2: got. Much more fun if a chairman came out and said culturally. This guy does not fit. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but do you know what? We thought, sod it, we'll give it a try. Um, Matt's, Matt makes quite a good point. At the start of 2022, who would have thought Vladimir Putin would have the biggest impact on Brighton and Hove Albion? No war equals no sanctions, equals no new Chelsea owner. Unlikely Chelsea would steal Potter. De Zerbi would still be managing Shakhtar. And actually, Barney, you wrote a piece connecting all the dots of Russia, Qatar, the World Cup. Um, a lot of people asked if you could just, I mean, it's sort of, it was, it was a very good piece, but it's was quite depressing at the same time, Barney. I don't I don't know if that yeah. if that was the we've all been having these conversations for quite a long time about joining these dots and realizing that this is all quite bleak. But I don't know if you've concluded what your conclusion is. Do we just keep watching and with that knowledge? What do we do?
3: Um, well the thing is that it's insoluble because this is geopolitics. You know, what can you do? There's nothing you can do. You can't say I'm going to I'm I'm gonna stop watching football because then you're you're giving up that thing that you love and which is valuable and which essentially belongs to the people and saying you can have it now um but it you know it is fascinating There's it's obviously a massive topic but looking back um you know i was in the room when qatar uh were announced as as world cup hosts and the the, the general even from experienced sort of um journalists who've been following this intensely, the general vibe was total bafflement it really was bafflement it was like this is really strange why has this happened is this an oversight is this pure corruption you know what's happening how do you explain this and then of course 10 years 12 years on makes total sense um qatar knew um this is where football is is the show that accompanies um what's happening in the rest of our world. And we now have blocks of carbon producers and non-carbon producers, and that's that's the way it is. And football is a kind of strand in that. And as the kind of, um, you know, the circus to go with the bread, it's it's very obvious. And it's worked out brilliantly for Qatar, it really has. They utterly called it. Um, I'm convinced that the um, the World Cup was about security for Qatar um it was about not wanting to be in there were, in words i've heard um another Kuwait. it was about appearing on the map it was about we have these incredible resources but could you pick us out from, you know off the map um nobody's invading qatar now qatar is a player on the world stage people know it has allies great britain has a joint typhoon squadron with qatar the only country it has a joint military squadron with uh, air force squadron with. did you know that i didn't know I that i didn't know that um uh, so it's an ally we we look to them as our you know as the the war has really sharpened that process and you can now see very clearly the joins of um producers and non-producers of this stuff and and that's the world order and football is sort of right there in the front seat um you know dancing around being the kind of court jester at this thing it's kind of fascinating and think about that while you watch the world cup from under a blanket shivering slightly um you've paid for it
2: if only the Emir had, been, had watched QPR Reading as their first game, and then perhaps it would all be, it would all be different. Um, anyway, look, we're going to do loads of, uh, loads of specials on Qatar as we build up to the World Cup. WSL started this weekend. Please listen to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Um, two big results, big surprises. Man City going down 4-3 at Villa, Robin. Um, Rachel Daly getting a couple. And Chelsea losing to Liverpool in a game of three penalties.
1: Three penalties, yeah. I think all of them were penalties. Um, but yeah, no, Chelsea, that was a big shock. Liverpool just newly promoted. Um, Chelsea were just real lack of intensity. A little bit of fortune on Liverpool's side, a couple of very tight offsides. It looks like Sam Kerr was onside for her, one of her goals. But uh, yeah, no, we were yeah. slightly concerned, you know, after it was uh, cancelled last weekend that it would be a bit of a damp squid. But actually, it looks like quite a few of them had record crowds in their... Uh, stadiums and yeah it fantastic to see that um you know we had some shock results so yeah no really good good start to the WSL.
2: Ben Foster, he's retired. I imagine you must have played with Ben Foster Nadem, mustn't you? I mean i played with no. uh, how old is he? How old is, I mean, he? is, is he? I mean I it's hard to tell isn't it he must be forty odd.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I've played against him uh, a few times, but like when he was like at Watford and stuff. So he's fair play to him. You know, he's, and he's, he, he, I think it's very clear what he's going, going to be doing now that he's retired from football because he's done it very well whilst he was playing football. So more power to him. And yeah, let's see, let's see how that goes. Yeah. For
2: him. We don't really like ex pros on the pod, but he might be good, Ben. Mightn't he? He's a lovely yeah. chap. Yeah. Well, uh, Once <laughs>
0: enough.
2: <laughs> um, uh, a shout out to Hull, who conceded the most magnificent cock up of a goal against Swansea, culminating the keeper tripping his own defender. Uh, not a lot of contact, but he had the right to go down. Um, uh, uh Middlesbrough fans held up a banner in support of Chris Kamara as well, uh, who was worried about being a fraud when he left Sky. Um, you know, after getting a praxia and, and not being able to deliver all the words, but it was very supportive, and he's a good man. It was a nice touch. Mark says during the week where various fixtures were postponed owing to the death of the monarch, is this the most tenuous reason for rescheduling a match? Chesham two, Bracknell two. The match was switched to Friday as Taskmaster was being filmed at the ground on Saturday, uh, and Bracknell seemed more comfortable with the switch, as they dominated the opening half. So I believe Alex Horn is a Chesham fan, isn't he? So maybe he had a, a say in that. Speaking of Chesham, Robin, you enjoyed the Tano man singing, deciding to sing the national anthem himself because they didn't have a version with God Save the King, so he went and did it himself.
1: Yeah. And he also, he kind of went, God save our gracious qu- king. It was, It's magnificent. More of that, please. More yeah. of that. I remember I did a FA Cup game last year and uh, Dion Dublin was there and um, they were, we were finding out whether they were going to, there was a live sort of, um, you know, bugle or on the tape, and he said, I'll do it, which I would have loved, <laughs> on his dupe. But uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen.
2: Um, anyway, that'll pretty much do for today. A very self-indulgent thank you from me to Daniel, and more specifically his wife, Larissa, who crocheted young Ian Rushton uh, a moose in Cambridge United Colours and then sent it to my work in Sydney. Uh, we have the moose, and Ian likes Aww. it. So that that's very kind of you. Um, uh, thank you, Nadam. Thanks for your time.
0: Absolute pleasure, like always.
2: Thank you, Barney. Cheers, everyone. Uh, Thank you, Robin. Thanks, Max. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with the EuroPod. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens.
0: This is The Guardian.